Warwick, what do you see are the main problems of our carbon pricing system? Firstly, I think there's a big misunderstanding um, by both sides of politics that by introducing this carbon price, uh, conservatives argue that this is going to cause a major economic disruption and the government says it's going to have no impact. The reality is it's going to have a significant impact in the short term for some industries. We're already seeing that. We're seeing uh, workers in steel works, we're seeing workers in aluminium uh, companies seeing their jobs become under threat. We see the government then come in with subsidies to prevent closure in those industries that the carbon price is meant to close and we get this com complete contradiction. So we're likely to get almost no abatement in the short term, uh, big economic costs for very small sectors of the economy, but overall most Australians will hardly notice it at the beginning. But as the economy evolves we're going to see more and more costs being incurred and um, the uncertainty that I've I worry about is going to be manifest and so we won't see the investments in new technologies that we need, we'll just see pure economic costs and that is such a waste of, res of resources. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I think neither side of politics understands really the importance of, of getting this right. Can you summarise the main features of Australia's carbon pricing system? Well it's quite a complicated scheme, it started off as a very good idea but with all the negotiations in the political space it changed quite a lot from the simple principle to being quite a mess. So in principle there's some good features to this scheme. The problem with the scheme is firstly you have a switch from a known price which is roughly $28 a tonne on June 30th 2015 and July 1st it switches to a carbon trading scheme where the price in principle could be $15 a tonne. That means that the value of permits have dropped by 50%. Now this is very disruptive because firms that are making long-term investment decisions can't really get a good handle on what the carbon price might be over the horizon of their investments. Secondly, a lot of decisions that are made at, at $28 a tonne are no longer viable at $15 a tonne. That creates a certain amount of uncertainty. When you consider that the major solution to climate change at lowest cost is to get long-term investments in alternative technologies and even in coal and fossil fuel based technologies that emit less carbon, if that investment is not encouraged, in fact it's actually discouraged by uncertainty, then you're unlikely to get any substantial investments in the short term until after July 1st, 2015. In fact, the investment you'll get will be investment in lobbying to have the scheme destroyed before it actually becomes a binding constraint on industry. And that's the other big problem we have, is that it's not a bipartisan policy at all. So we have a scheme which is very, very tight, very expensive, very costly for industry, which industry is lobbying very hard, fossil fuel industry is lobbying very hard to change, yet um, this could quite easily just break uh, when there's an election. In fact, the alternative prime minister has promised to bring it down. The other set of problems relate to uh, what happens to other parts of the economy. So firstly, when you put a carbon price in, it raises cost of electricity, it raises the cost of everything. That in an economy that's fossil fuel intensive like Australia is, a, is like taxing our comparative advantage. And what this means is that we will pay economically, by my estimates, about three quarters of a percent of GDP in the first year. Um, the benefits are that there'll be slightly fewer emissions in the world coming from Australia, but we're not part of a global system, so there's not really any demonstrable net benefit to the globe from this sort of policy. Until we get an international agreement, uh, we are definitely moving ahead of the pack. The second problem, which is related to fiscal policy, is that the government, instead of compensating people based on the actual carbon costs 
in the system, they're predicting these costs using models and they're paying dollars to households out of a revenue source which initially we know what the revenue will be but by 2015 the revenue source could have driven could have dried up because by 2015 we don't know what the carbon price will be so there's a lot of uncertainty on for fiscal policy on spending things now when we don't actually know that we have the revenue the third problem is based on some research that I published through the Lowy Institute um, and that is looking at the way different carbon pricing mechanisms propagate shocks throughout the world economy. Now to give you one example, uh, the idea of this seat scheme is, is quite clear in the Ghana review that we start and then we'll be joining, we start ourselves, we join a global trading system where we buy and sell carbon not just in the Australian economy but across countries. For example, but we will buy carbon from China, China will, China will buy carbon permits from us. Now in that world we've shown in our modelling that if China has a massive economic boom uh, today, when that happens, Australia benefits substantially because we sell more to China, our incomes go up. In a world of carbon trading, if China has a boom, they need to have more and more carbon permits to sustain their boom. If they buy more and more carbon permits in the world economy, it drives up the price of carbon. Now, because we use a lot of carbon in our production, our modelling suggests that the positives we get from trading with China uh, more than offset by the negatives we get from a much higher carbon price in Australia driven by the Chinese boom. And in fact, under a world of carbon trading, <coughs> a boom in China can be negative for Australia, whereas under a normal world where we don't have carbon constraints, it, it's positive. So the carbon trading system for pricing carbon has a disadvantage that the price itself could be very, very high. The alternative is a, is a pure carbon tax, which is where we're starting the system and you could have a global carbon tax. Now under a global carbon tax world, if China has a boom, they don't need to buy more permits. So their boom doesn't affect our carbon price and therefore we get the normal transmission of positive income effects. So the, these transmissions of shocks is very, very important in the design of the policy, but completely ignored in the design in the Australian context. And that's the danger is that for different types of shocks like financial crises, a carbon tax is a bad idea because the carbon price can't move down when the world economy slows. And when there's a boom in China, a carbon tax is a good idea, permit trading is a bad idea. So it really does depend on the context. So we've created a system which could really self-destruct, not because of domestic politics, but just because the economic costs become so great that they're deemed to be greater than the benefits and then the economics dominates the political debate. A good question is, will the opposition override the carbon tax? Um, it's become such a political um, hot potato now, I see that they have no choice. But that's unfortunate because it's obvious in all of the work I've seen that pricing carbon is a much better way of reducing emissions than any sort of regulatory approach. The opposition policy, which is a direct action policy, um, may, may, may work for small abatement targets, but if you're talking about substantial reductions in greenhouse emissions, it's very hard to see how that policy can be scaled up. So it, it is possible it will be replaced, there will be a small policy in place, it will be effective at the margin, there will be small reductions, but if we ever sign an international agreement, which you'd have to think eventually would, would occur as we get more and more serious climate events in the world, we'll then have to redesign our system again to integrate into a global system and that's just going to be very costly. And that's the big problem is we could have done this, I think, at low, lowest cost and we could have learnt a lot and we could have taught other countries 
how to design these systems in a very low cost and rational way. And we've lost that opportunity now. In the US, I've just come back from Washington and been asked by quite a few people who are enthusiastic about the fact that Australia has a carbon tax. Uh, Americans see this as one way of getting a carbon policy because they can use it to reduce the budget deficit. And they're very disappointed when I point out to them that actually this carbon tax worsened the budget deficit. It didn't improve it because there were so many payoffs made to industry and households. There was so much political machinations over the top of rational economic decisions that in the end it worsened the budget, not improved it. And that sort of political dynamic will occur in America just as it did in Australia. So again we've demonstrated that this is not a good way to solve other problems and therefore I think actually the carbon tax will be dealt a, a serious blow throughout the world given the experience that Australia demonstrates. And for you, how could it be done differently? How can we learn from this? It could have been done very differently. Um, there is a very large academic literature on how to price carbon and there are many ways to do it, uh, there are, but there are many ways that you shouldn't do it. And Australia unfortunately has taken what is the outcome of a political process. Uh, I think the advice that was given by um, various experts were, was not the best advice. I think the political process has damaged what was uh, a good idea, which actually unfortunately now when it is unravelled will destroy carbon pricing in this economy for a very long time. That means eventually when we do have to start dealing with carbon emissions it's going to be more costly than otherwise because very few politicians will want to touch carbon pricing after this particular um, uh, approach has failed. Now the Lowy Institute has published quite a few papers, one called Sensible Climate Policy which I wrote for the Academy of Sciences in uh, 2006, which did look at these issues. And one of the key arguments we made in that was, it's not just an economic issue in the design of the system, it's also a political issue that comes about by using economic incentives to, to actually encourage carbon reduction. What, what I mean by that is firstly, have a carbon price which is economy-wide. The second principle is that the, there should be property rights over carbon. So, if people want to create markets to trade carbon, it can't just be trading today. You have to allow people to trade carbon in 10 years time, 20 years time, 30 years time today. So that we need to have very clear property rights in the same way that we have in other sorts of futures markets. Now to do that, that means you have, the government has to pre-commit to a particular carbon target. And it has to issue rights to that target today throughout society. Now if you do that, and if everybody has carbon rights with different dates in the future in their retirement accounts and in their portfolios of investments, no opposition will go to an election advocating destroying those property rights. Because if they did that, they would destroy the wealth of many Australians. And it's similar to real estate contracts. No party ever runs for office arguing they're going to abolish all real estate contracts and start again. So what should have been done is these economic incentives, these economic assets should have been created to tie the hands of future governments to tie the hands of the corporations that at the moment are against carbon trading. If you gave them free permits, then they would actually have an incentive to support carbon trading. So this linking of the economic design into the real political situation should have been taken advantage of. The problem with the current system is the government doesn't see this particular issue very clearly. What they see is revenue. And so they've designed a system where they get their hands on the revenue, they then reallocate the revenue in a way that will maximise their political advantage. And that's great for political purposes, but it destroys the long-term economic signals, which is absolutely key to carbon uh, abatement. 
And so I think we've lost a really big opportunity by a lack of understanding and a complete short-sightedness by both the government and whoever came up with this particular scheme and advocated it within government.